Amen. Let's give the Lord another hand clap of praise. Amen. We uh, just want to thank God. It's such, it's such a blessing to see uh, young people sing with so much passion and about being faithful in every way. I don't know about you, but I, my, my heart was encouraged uh, to see uh, this, that generation, this generation. Um, they're, not, they're not the church of tomorrow, but they're the church of today. Amen? Amen. 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 Just want to take this opportunity just to uh, recognize uh, Reverend Dr. Bench Bantu. He's a, a pastor of uh, the beloved community church in uh, St. Louis. Uh, it's also uh, the professor and, and president of the Meacham School of Hamanots. And so we're excited to have him uh, with us today and uh, a very prolific author and, and in great demand. And I can truly say after breaking bread with him yesterday, we are friends in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand as he comes forward. Good morning, University Presbyterian Church. It is good to be with you all on the house of God with my family of God. Amen. Amen. I know I'm in the, in the house of God. I know I'm with family on today. I come from St. Louis, Missouri, very different context than Seattle. I was just telling Pastor Aaron last night, I don't even get to this area very often. And uh, I'm just, you know, like taken back by the differences I see. I see all these mountains and water everywhere, and it's a lot different than our brown little Mississippi River we got. And, uh, and this is only my like second, third time here, but it's just so great to see that even though we're from different contexts, different spaces, different places, that we're all one family in Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'm so glad I know I'm with my family of God, with my body of Christ. And uh, we, we talk about that phrase, and, and, uh, and so the Lord just put on my heart to go to the text uh, on today where we really get that phrase from, uh, the body of Christ. And so we're going to continue to worship now. I'm so excited to be welcomed in to join with y'all in worship. And so the worship is going to continue as we read and are transformed by God's holy word from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll be beginning at the 21st verse today. So if you have your Bibles you can open it up, and if you have the passage, you can say amen. And if you don't, you can say hold on. We're gonna, we all want to be together as one body. We're going to move at the same pace. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 21, and it's on the board as well, if you can follow along. And the Apostle Paul said, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. This is the word of the Lord. 
Amen. Thanks is due to God. Let's thank him right now. Father God, we thank you in the name of Jesus, and we recognize your presence in this place. Lord God, we have come into your house to worship you, to bow before your throne, and to be transformed by you. We thank you for your holy word, Lord. We thank you that it is the lamp unto our feet and the light to our path. Lord God, we have a lot of darkness in our world that we need you to light us through. We thank you, Lord, that with you being the head, you've given us and made us into a body. Lord, we have a lot of divisions in the world, a lot of injustice, even sometimes within the body of Christ. And so we come before you lamenting that today. But Lord, also, we come before you rejoicing, thanking you, Lord, that as we just sang, you have the victory over sin and death. You have the victory over division, over oppression. And now you have given that victory to us. You have transferred it to us. So we thank you, Lord. And we pray, Lord God, that as we sit under the authority of your word, that your Holy Spirit would fill this place, that I would decrease, that Jesus would increase, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up in this time, and that we would not leave this place the way we came in, but we will be transformed on today. And we will be very careful to give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, good morning again. Uh, my, my, my Seattle family give you greetings from, from the Lou, from the STL, uh, on behalf of Beloved Community Church. And I'm so grateful to be with you all today with my fellow church family. And the title of the sermon is, is Church Family. Uh, in my church, I was actually, uh, I, I was blessed to be here for both services this morning. And I was able to stream in with my church family a little bit back home in between the services and just say, hey, big ups, shouting out from Seattle. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful and hopefully, hoping we can continue to connect and, and fellowship as believers because we one body, amen. Uh, and in our church, the, the idea and the imagery of the family is very central to everything we do as a church. We actually, you know, call ourselves a family model of church. And, uh, and, and that, that idea of the family is so in integral to what we do. Um, you know, I love my family uh, of, you know, of, of origin. And, uh, and, and I love the idea of how we as a family move and live together and, and walk together. And uh, this, I love traveling. Like, I love being here in Seattle. And like I said, seeing different places. My family, we homeschool our kids, so we're able to travel a lot of different places. And, and, and I just had, like, the dream of my life happen last summer. I just hit 40, and I wanted to go big. I wanted to turn up, uh, you know, in Jesus' name. And, um, and you know, holy turn up. And, and I, I always had this dream to go to the Serengeti in Tanzania and just see, you know, see that part of the motherland and, and experience that. And, and the Lord opened up the opportunity. My whole family goes. I was able to take my mother, first time she ever left the United United States in her life and, uh, and, and, you know, my kids as well, seeing them so little, being able to experience this. And, and man, I wanted to just see all them zebras and elephants and all that. Um, and we were on the safari, right? And, and we had to, but we had to bring a carrier for my mother because she can't really get around like that. And so we had to get a carrier for her. We had to, and we were taking turns pushing her, uh, me and my, my kids and my wife, we all just taking turns and making sure that she can participate in this thing. We went on one part where we went another place and we was in with gorillas and we were straight carrying her through the jungle up and down hills so she could be up all up in the bush and, and see the gorillas and everything. And, and it, was, it was powerful, man. But, but I, man, I wanted to see them lions, though. That's what I was there for because uh, I came up, you know, I'm from U City in St. Louis. You know, we have an area university as well. Uh, and uh, that's, the, that's our mascot. And I always was like, I want to see Mufasa. You know, that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm trying to see. And so all day we looking around. I ain't seen no 
no lions yet. And, and you know, I was a little nervous though, right? Because I'm from the city. And so I'm like, oh man, we out here in the savannah and like it's animals everywhere. So I'm a little nervous, you know, God, I, don't, I see you ain't got no strap. You ain't got no gun. What's going on, man? Like, you know, uh, and so I'm a little nervous and, you know, but I'm trying to stretch myself, expand my horizons and see God through nature, you know, um, and so, uh, and so I'm looking for them lines. We didn't see them all day, but I was steady thinking, and it's almost like I manifested this. Like I'm, I had negative thinking and it happened. I was like, you know what's going to happen, man? We're going to break down, I bet you. Because my wife, she don't play that either. Like when there's turbulence on a plane, she get, you know, she get nervous, especially when we're out in the woods and you can't hear nothing. She's like, I love to be in the city. You know, I hear the, the gunshots and the sirens. Yes, I'm comfortable. But I get out and hear crickets and so I'm like, I get, ner- she like, I get nervous. And so, you know, she's from Newark, New Jersey, so that's how she rolled. But, but, um, but you know, I'm, I'm getting nervous. So I'm thinking that. And then sure enough, we go through this creek and the truck breaks down. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe this. And then I'm just thinking, like, I bet you, because he went down into this ditch, and it was a river, and I'm like, I bet you he ain't going to be able to get up. You know, I'm a little big, and, you know, all that kind of, and, he, and then it showed up, he couldn't get up. He got stuck. And so I'm like, oh, man. So I'm thinking, I bet you we're going to have to get out this car. And I do not want to get out this car, and I'm out here in the savannah, and it's animals over here to the left. I don't know where they at. And so I, but, but he couldn't, he kept trying. He couldn't get up. And I asked the question, and I didn't want to because I knew the answer was going to be yes. I was like, I was like, hey, man, you, you need us to get out the car uh, so you can. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> and then we out the car. I'm out the car. My whole family, we out. And, and I'm just like, oh, Lord, I felt better in that car. Uh, and I'm looking around and stuff. And he, can't, he still can't get up. And I'm still sitting here, like, thinking negative thoughts into existence. I'm like, you know what? It would just be my luck. I bet you that we've been looking, I ain't seen no lions all day. I bet you now that we stuck and I'm outside this car, outside the safety of the windows, I bet you a lion's gonna show up right now. And I'm like, and I shouldn't even be thinking, you know, but I shouldn't even think that way. So I like about 10, 15 minutes pass and I'm looking and all of a sudden in the distance, I see something moving in the bush and I'm looking and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a lion over there. I see Mufasa standing right over there about the same distance as I am from like the back row, that close. And I'm like, oh Lord Jesus. And then like a couple minutes later, I see the mama come up and the baby. And that's, you know, I'm really worried now because I mean, the, the daddies ain't what you got to worry about. You got to worry about the mamas and especially when they got the babies by them. So I'm just like, all right, Jesus, we coming home. Like we, <laughs> today's the day, you know? And I'm just like, man, why'd it have to be my babies with me, my wife, my kids, and my mama? Like, why, why couldn't it just be me? Uh, and I'm just like, and then I'm thinking, hey, you know, again, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm from West Side. So in them situations, we run. <laughs> like, you know, so my first reaction was to run. But like, I can't because my mama right here and we can't, we, we, got, we can't leave her. We got her in this thing. And so I'm, and we can't get her out. So we're going to go out together. Um, and I was sure thinking we was going to die. I was going to meet Jesus that day. And we just kept on standing there. And then finally, another truck came up with, some other, with another group of people and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell y'all, UPC, God is still working on me. Because I was so happy when I saw this other car, but it was for very sinful reasons. Because my first thought was, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Now the lions have other options. And so, you know... <laughs> You know, I can, get, I can just get behind y'all, and then, you know, when they start, when the mama come, because the mama had disappeared after a minute. I'm like, I don't see her. She probably stalking in the bushes, getting ready to pounce. So I'm like, hey, they might get y'all first. It's terrible. It's, it's, God is working on me, y'all. It's terrible. But, but then, you know, this truck, they were more saved than I am. They were more Christian acting. You know, they helped us out and helped us get out of there. And we hopped on that truck real quick, and we got about it. We were like, thank you, Jesus. We were singing hallelujah, thank, salvation and glory, honor and power belong to our God. We was praising the whole, because I, I really thought we was going to die. I really did. But, but again, you know, it just made me think about, like, in not just that situation, but in, it, throughout the whole trip, it, I ain't gonna lie to you. Like, you know, I, I love my mama. She ain't listening, you know, on the, you know but it's, it, it's a little, it can be a little tiring, you know, trying to do all that, like pushing the thing and making sure, and it's like we have to go slower and all that kind of stuff. But it just reminded me 
of that. And it's like how cool now we can laugh about it and share those stories. And I can be just thinking about, I got to take my mom to, you know, another place and for her first time. And it would have been so much, you know, it would have been so much less powerful if she, if we all wouldn't have been there to participate in that. And it just made me think about how the body of Christ works like that, uh, like a family, right? When you're, when we're not, I mean, as a church, we're not just an organization or an institution. Uh, we're a family, you know, for, and, and that's how God has stitched us together. And again, when you're a family, that's how you act. You want to make sure everybody has a seat at the table. Uh, and even if, it's, if it means inconveniencing us or slowing us down or having to modify how we do things, we want to, we're going to do that to make sure that everybody in the family can participate. You know, like Snoop said, it ain't no fun unless the homies can have some. And he's talking about something else, but what I'm talking about is the beloved community of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to say. It ain't no fun unless we can all have some. And so we all want to participate in the beloved community of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is really talking about here in this passage, because he's talking to the Corinthian church and they were a diverse church, like UPC, my church. You know, they had a lot of different uh, sectors of life and different people together. And also, Paul got to talking in this passage in chapter 12. He starts talking about the spiritual gifts. And he's talking about how there's different kind of gifts. But they're all one Lord and one body. And so he's trying to help them understand that everybody has a role. It doesn't matter if it's tongues, interpretation, teaching, or helps, or uh, service, or wisdom, discernment. Everybody has a gift, and they're all important. They all have a place in the body of Christ. No matter what your gift, no matter what your calling is, you have a place in the body of Christ. You have a seat at the table of the family of God. There's a seat waiting just for you, and it's tailored towards you. You got a flavor. You got a swag. You got a gifting that is needed in the body of Christ that I don't have, that Pastor Aaron don't have, that, you know, none, none of the other pastors or leaders. You got a certain calling and a role in God's kingdom economy. But the other thing that's interesting is that we're not, you know, we have to recognize the fact that we don't live in an equal world. We don't live in a world where everybody's starting on equal footing. You know, it's like we think about running a race, but imagine if you was already 100 steps back and someone shot the gun and said, go. Some of us have advantages, and others of us are held back and pushed down. And so we have to acknowledge that, that as much as we want unity in the church, and we need to be talking about unity, we also need to talk about justice. Because sometimes there are things holding some of us back, even in the body of Christ and in the larger world. And so that's what Paul has to get to at this point. You know, he starts off saying, the eye can't say the hand, I don't need you. And the, you know, the hand to the foot, I don't need you. And then in verse 22, he says, on the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Like, that don't sound fair. <laughs> you know, like... Uh, like God's kingdom a lot of times violates our sense of what's fair. Our sense of fair is everybody gets the same thing. The word of God literally says the opposite. <laughs> the word of God literally says the people who are more marginalized actually get more. And the people, he, go, he goes on, verse 24, whereas our more respectable members don't need it, don't need this. The Greek literally says that our, you know, first of all, uh, you know, it says respectable but the word schema in Greek literally, it has this idea of clothing, like the monastic, they use that word, like you're putting on clothing, just like we have put on Jesus's righteousness and we have taken off the clothing, the garments of sin. And so he's literally saying, you know, the different, different translators translate this differently, have their different reasons for it. But I want to submit to you today the word adorn. 
that, you know, when it says like some parts are respectable and less respectable, I would say that, that, that really what that also could literally be translated as is some of them are adorned. And then some of our members are unadorned. That's literally what it just says. It's just ah, schemata, like unadorned. I mean, some of us have things and some of us don't. And in verse 24, it says our adorned members, it actually just says our adorned don't have need. That's literally all it says. Is that they don't need. They're not in need. So God's word is literally calling us to, first of all, acknowledge who among us are the people who are unadorned who have not received the same schema, the same adornment that others have received. And then it's saying, once you acknowledge that, to give greater honor and greater adornment, to adorn them. But then in verse 25, he says, so that there may be no dissension in the body. So the goal of this uh, theological reparations or this uh, ecclesiastical uh, redistribution of resources is not to romanticize one group of, of, of a, uh, an oppressed or marginalized group or to villainize somebody else because they have privilege because that doesn't do nothing. That doesn't accomplish anything. And we're all made in the image of God and we all have a place at God's table and God's heart is for all of us to be one family yeah. and all of us to experience the safari of the kingdom together. But that means we have to acknowledge that some of us are having certain hindrances to fully participating. We have to acknowledge that and we have to mitigate and we have to customize what we do. And we can't have the illusion that we're all starting from the same place. There's a difference between equality and equity. Some of y'all might have seen this famous baseball picture where there's three boys standing behind a fence. I should have brought it, but there's three, you could Google it right now. There's three boys standing behind a fence and one of them's short, one of them medium height, one of them's tall, and they're all looking over a fence at a baseball game, but the short and the medium height boy can't see over the fence and the tall boy can, and they're all standing on one box. And so the tall boy doesn't even need a box in the first place. And the medium and the short boy can't even see, even with one box. So they're all getting the same thing, but their needs are different. And so, and then on top of it, it says that's equality. But then over here, it says this is equity. And it has the short boy standing on two of the boxes and then the medium height boy standing on one of the boxes and then the tall boy don't got no boxes, but all their heads are at the same level. Yeah. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. And so what the word of God says is that our resources will be unevenly distributed. It will not be fair in the worldly sense because we are to acknowledge that we're not starting from the same starting point. But the end goal is the unity of the body of Christ and bringing us to the beloved community that God lived and died and rose again for and to be the head of. And so we see three things here in this passage. We see, number one, when it comes to honor and adornment, that these are redistributed. Now, I love the fact that he said, first of all, in verses 22 and 23, it, he's saying the things that we think are weaker or think are less honorable. Sometimes we might think an, a, a community is less honorable and oftentimes they can be some of the most valuable people in the body of Christ. He's thinking about body parts, like you know, your arms and legs are out there. They don't, they're not, uh, uh, they're not uh, necessarily covered, but the the parts of your body that sometimes are the most indispensable, the heart, the lungs, the, the, you know, the organs, they're covered up and they, they seem to be weaker because you know, they, they, they're not as strong or durable as like the arms or the legs or the back, but they, the body literally cannot live without them. And so in the same way, we have to look at 
these parts of the body that in some ways might be more vulnerable, might be more marginalized, might be experiencing greater oppression and are more, uh, more vulnerable, but yet they require greater honor and greater adornment. But, so the honor and the adornment is redistributed. But number two, the second thing is that when it says care, that care is equal. Because in verse 25, after he says, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. So care has to be equal. Everybody's important. Everybody's experience, everybody's problems, no matter what your problem is, it could be a first world problem. Everybody's problems are equally valid. Everybody has a place in the body of Christ. Everyone's perspective is valid. Everyone's made in the image of God. None of us should apologize for being who we are because we're made in his image. And we have to have equal care for each other. But the honor and the adornment are called to not be the same. The other thing that is shared, number three, is that we have a shared suffering and joy. In verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. I got, a, I got an issue. God's working on me on this too, y'all. I'm trying to, get my, trying to get my eating together. That's what I was telling Pastor Aaron last night. I'm glad we went to that salmon restaurant and, uh, and they, gave them little, them, they gave me those, you know, those small Seattle portions. You know what I'm saying? I'm from St. Louis and, and I was so glad. They were worried. They were like, oh, you need some more? I was like, no, 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 I do not. I'm from St. Louis. I'm from rib capital of the world. I don't need that. Man, I'm, I'm, God's working on me, y'all. I'm not eating. I'm trying to get it better because I done developed gout. I don't know if anybody know anything about gout. But I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I woke up one day about 10 years ago when it first hit. Man, I woke up in the morning. I felt like somebody was stabbing my foot with a knife. It hurts so bad. But it's just this little bitty area on my, like, you know, big right toe. And that little area sent a pain of shockwave all through my body. And even my head was trying to compensate for my toe. It was just like I'm trying to move my head in certain I'm trying to move my whole body to make this toe as comfortable as it possibly can be. I'm walking on my left side, and my left leg got strong during that time, y'all. I, I'm using my hands to, like, pull myself up. I'm like, I want nothing else. I don't care what I don't care how tired my arms get. I don't care how tired my leg get. I just need my right toe not to touch anything. It hurt to touch my own sock. Like, I, I just need my, I told my kids, if you touch, I put my foot up, if you touch my foot, I, you will be on punishment for so long. I, you, you can mess up anything else. Do not touch my foot. If they just graze past it, it was like, I was screaming, hollering, it hurt so bad. But what I'm trying to say to y'all, UPC, is that sometimes the left leg gonna have to bear some more burdens. Sometimes the arms are gonna have to bear some more burdens so that we can help and alleviate the oppression of some of our brothers and sisters in Christ that are being afflicted. And that's exactly what Paul is telling us to do, that we have to have a shared suffering and a shared joy. We have a redistributed honor and adornment. We have a same equal care, but we have a shared suffering and joy. There's a, a theologian named Shenouda who lived in Egypt in the 400s, and he actually, lived, he actually ran a monastic community where they were pra practicing this vision of what we see in Acts chapter 2. And really the whole book, the whole early church. You had people all stripes, all different sectors of life. But everybody was together. The word of God says they had all things in common. And there was no poor among them. And so those who were far away were brought near. And in fact, those who were at the margins were at the center of God's church. The, you know, Acts also says that Peter and John, the, the, the main architects of the early church, they were unschooled, ungrammatos, like unlearned, idiots. Like literally in Greek, idiotes, they were idiots or simpletons. These were the people that were the leaders of the church. 
And you had people who were, from a worldly standpoint, they didn't seem honorable. They didn't seem presentable. They was like the modern-day, you know, uh, working-class folks. And you had people much wealthier than them that in the world's eyes were much higher, but they were actually submitting under their leadership. And this is how God constantly works. He takes the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Jesus says, I thank you, God, that you have revealed the kingdom of God to little ones such as these. He says, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you got to become like one of these little ones. He also said that whatever you've done to the least of these, that, that is what you've done to me. And so God has a, as our Latin American theological friends say, a preferential option for the poor. But again, this doesn't romanticize the poor or villainize people with, with, with wealth, but what it does is God centers his activity among the margins. And then he calls all people to participate. And that's what Shenouda did. He, he called out to his monastic community. He wrote in the Coptic language, and he said, it was not to make us rich in gold and silver that the Lord became poor, although he is rich, but so that everyone together, rich and poor, might become rich in good works. In any case, just as the Lord became poor for our sake, although he is rich, it is right that those of us who have worldly riches become like those who do not have. Just as the Lord became like one who has nothing, although he is the Lord of all, of heaven and earth and all the things in them. So Shenouda called people of every stripe of life to come into the Manasseh community and, and to teach people the word of God, to disciple them, to preach the gospel, and to catechize and to develop liturgy and worship, but also to give employment to people, to give literacy, to even to use his platform to uh, advocate for justice on behalf of the marginalized. So it was a very holistic dynamic of church. In fact, you know, uh, I'd be willing to guess that a lot of us have never heard of Shenouda, but he's actually the greatest writer in the history of the Egyptian language, which is the Earth's like one of the oldest languages in the world. So it's kind of crazy that we haven't heard of this dude, or I hadn't heard of him until like, you know, even like I was into halfway through my PhD when I heard of this dude. But I heard of like Martin Luther or John Calvin or, you know, Thomas Aquinas and all this kind of, all the European people of his, and I teach church history. So even the way I teach church history, I try to do it in this 1 Corinthians 12 kind of way where I literally put even more attention on like African and Asian theologians in church history that a lot, even scholars don't even know about. I'm still learning. And then I give attention to the Western and European stuff as well, but because I already know that's what dominates every classroom and syllabus and, and most bookshelves and most churches and schools around the world, I give a little bit less attention to that. I give attention to it because it's valuable, but I give a little bit less attention to that because verse 24, our more respectable members do not have need. There's not a need for that. And so again, as a church, as I close, I want to encourage us that there are three ways we can apply this idea of the church being a family. And what I want to encourage you with, UPC, as I leave today, is that a family grows best when it moves at the pace of its slowest member. A family grows best when it moves at the pace of its slowest member. Or as West African Proverbs tell us, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. And we live in cities like Seattle. I, I see like y'all like us, you got the cranes, right, everywhere. And so we got cities that are developing, right? But even the word developing is loaded. And so are we developing though at a, in, a, in a fast, efficient way that suits us that leaves other people out on the margins instead of bringing them to the center of our development and even in the church? So I want to encourage you with three practical steps that we can do to live as this body. Number one, we need to identify who the marginalized are in our community. The Bible does this left and right. 
It names who the marginalized are, orphans, widows, the sick, the sojourner, the foreigner, the stranger, women, and the poor. And God is constantly uplifting those things, using those things. And God literally, he adorned us when he took on flesh. And he was born and raised in the hood. He was born in a stinky, smelly manger in a backwater province that was being colonized by the Roman Empire, a Hebrew people that Romans and Greeks had a history of oppressing, colonizing, and looking down upon. And that's the people that God chose to adorn and live among. And that is the people that God adorned his own flesh with. And God adorned his beloved disciples who were unschooled idiots, who were fishermen and low-class people. And he called everybody and he adorned them with the power and the authority of the church. And Jesus Christ adorned us when he took on our sin on the cross and he took off this, the, the clothing, the schema of shame and sin that our parents, Adam and Eve, sewed for themselves in the garden and he stripped it off and he put on us the schema, the adornment of his glory when he took our sin on the cross and he got up again in all power and he said, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me and I adorn you with the powerful Holy Spirit. And he has sent us to do his great work brothers and sisters. So we got to identify who the marginalized are because God works in the margins. God, has, God is in the hood, y'all. And there's a blessing for you in the hood. There is a blessing for you in the margins. UPC, I wonder if you mind, just for a minute, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Oh, no, it's okay. You can do it for real. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. There's a blessing for you in the margins. Amen, amen. There is a blessing for us in the margins, y'all. Jesus was that one. So we have to identify who the margins are. In our community, it's North St. Louis. You can, you can literally map out North St. Louis and the same place where it's predominantly poor, predominantly people of color is also the place that's a bank desert, food desert, school desert, uh, every kind of desert, every kind of resource has been stripped away. And so as a church, we came into that community and moving there, and we are identifying that as our community. What is the margins of the university district? What are the margins of Seattle? What are the margins of even UPC? How do we identify that? And then number two, how do we create an ethos that's conducive, that centers the marginalized? The, 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 the church grew with people who were on the margins. And it grew in that way. And it invited other people in with power, prestige, and privilege. But there's all, one thing that's interesting, when you look at Zacchaeus or Barnabas or uh, many of these other people of more prestige, when they come into the beloved community, there's always this reparation. There's a repayment. There is a kingdom economy that's neither Marxist nor capitalist, but it's, it's Jesusist. This is God's kingdom economy. And so, we have to create an ethos that centers the marginalized, that welcomes everybody, but gives a little bit more priority to those that are most marginalized. There is a correlation. The degree of marginalization is the degree of in God's house where those, that very community will be prioritized. I was at a church before in uh, an area of St. Louis, much like this, a university area. We had a lot of people from like the colleges, a lot of doctors, lawyers, white collar folk and all that kind of stuff. But we were wanting to lean into this even more. And you know, all of that, I mean, you know, diversity in terms of the hiring, the staff, like the reading, the preaching, focusing on justice, all that kind of stuff. And, but there's still sometimes an ethos. And I mean, because charity is cool, but that, and volunteering is cool, but that can only go so far. It's easier to give, I would argue, it's easier to give money than it is to give time and to give relationship. 
and to die to my preferences of how things, how things will run. But an example is like in my church, we had this habit of everybody after church would want to go out to eat. And, it, you know, it's like we might do it all together because we were a small church or it might be in groups or whatever. And it's like, where are we going to go eat? And then we didn't realize as we're trying to bring folks from the margins in that we're putting up a big wall when we do that. That says if you really want to enter into the life, I mean, yeah, of course, you can come to the service. But then a lot of us know sometimes, you know, the thick stuff of church community happens not in the organized times, but in the, in the, in the fellowship and in the relationships. And we were putting up a, a requirement unintentionally that said, you got to have money to drop on going out to eat, you know, to hang with us. And so we had to change that and said, no, nah, when we do fellowship, it's going to be stuff that's free. And we're going to do things that are in the community and that are according to the likeness and desires of the most marginalized. So again, we have to identify the marginalized and we have to create an ethos centered on them. And then thirdly, we have to empower them to lead as they are. We have to be able to have leaders and promote leaders that are from the margins. We have a brother, uh, you know, in our church who's in senior leadership, but his brother has a, like a sixth grade reading level. But it's a man of God who loves God, serves him, and loves his wife and kids and, and serves in the community. And But I'm just keeping it real, in most churches probably would not have been looked at because of the social educational level. Even sometimes the way we have conversation uh, is at a certain educational level that somebody from the margins can't even enter into. We got to be thinking about that. And so that's what we really challenge ourselves to do. And I'm going to tell you all, it's true, there is a blessing in the margins. There's a blessing in doing this because I think about one of our members who's also a leader, she's a medical resident, and, and, and uh, she has developed a relationship with another woman in our church who's from the projects. I ain't talking about just from the project, like still live in the projects, but is a leader in our church. And they are teaching each other. So it's not just like a one directional thing. And this member I mentioned, she has mentioned how much, how being in relationship with somebody that honestly the world would not have you know, destined her to be in relationship with has helped her to grow and realize that, you know, I need to actually learn about how I need to trust God. I'm stressing about, you know, getting jobs and all that kind of stuff. Not to say that's not important, but my friend over here, her son just got shot. And, you know, she got other a daughter in jail that she's got to go post bond for. And so it's like, and I'm seeing how much she trusts God in the midst of this. And I sometimes have it. So it's like, she's like, I'm learning from you how I can trust God in difficult situations, or I'm even sometimes learning how I can be a little bit more flexible, you know, because sometimes in empowering the marginalized and creating that ethos, we might have to, you know, uh, change up our ideas of time or punctuality as I go over time, and I'm going to wrap up right quick. You know, I'm, I'm a black preacher, though, so I got to close at least, at least two or three times. But as I close, brothers and sisters, we got to be thinking about these things and, again, empowering those to lead. And I'm here to tell you, just like my sister in my church is experiencing, there is a blessing for you in the margins, and everybody has a place and a role. And in fact, sometimes the parts of the body that seem unadorned, they seem less important, are indispensable. And as we adorn and center those parts of the body of Christ, watch what God will do. Watch how he will bless us and watch how he will bring us to the unity that he talks about right here in verse 25. The road is justice. And the destination is unity and reconciliation in Jesus Christ. And he's already done it for us. And we are grateful and so blessed to be a part of that movement. Let's pray together, y'all. Father God, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we worship, honor, and adore you, the head of our body. Thank you, Lord, that you paid the price. You experienced being unadorned, being stripped. And you did that for us, Lord God. Lord, we thank you that your resurrection that we just celebrated means 
that we have victory over injustice, over segregation, over all forms of oppression through the resurrection and power of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will help us to see who are on the periphery of our community. Show us how we can center those very people and learn from and be blessed by those very communities. And we will be very careful, Lord, to give you all the honor, glory, and praise as we are blessed as we do so. We thank you, Lord, and we honor and adore you, the head of our church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.